What's up? Welcome to the show on this Tuesday, August 2nd, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, BeantownAthletics.com. On today's show, Comcast Sportsnet New England, Sean McAdam, join me over the phone today. I will play that conversation for you in just a moment. Uh, Make sure you stick around after, though. I will give my own reaction to what happened at yesterday's non-waiver trade deadline in Major League Baseball. The Red Sox did not go out and make the big blockbuster trade. Uh, But in fact, you look at what Dave Dombrowski, the president of baseball operations for the Red Sox, what he did do in the last couple weeks leading up to the trade deadline, it's not as if he stood around and did nothing. However, you know, if you've listened to me the last couple weeks, how I felt, how I feel, I think the Red Sox should have gone out and tried and done everything that they could to get Chris Sale from the Chicago White Sox, or at least some type of starting pitcher, dominant starting pitcher, like a Chris Sale. And I would have been willing to give up the prospects like Mankata, like Ben Attendee, not knocking those kids. They could be very good players. And in fact, we're going to see maybe sooner rather than later what Andrew Benatendi is because he has been called up to the major leagues from double A now to Boston. He's meeting the team tonight in Seattle. I don't know that he's going to start tonight. In fact, I don't think he will with the Seattle Mariners throwing a left-handed pitcher on the mound. But you look tomorrow night, it's Iwakuma, a righty for Seattle. So maybe that will be Benatendi's first major league stop. Bottom line is this, they're calling him up. They didn't trade him. And we're going to get a glimpse into the maybe the future of this Red Sox team when it comes to Andrew Benatendi out in left field. So uh, I'll react to that news. I'll react to the fact that the Red Sox did not make a blockbuster move. And I'll react to all the major moves before yesterday's non-waiver trade deadline in Major League Baseball. So stick around after this conversation that I had this morning with Comcast Sportsnet New England's Sean McAdam. He writes and covers the Red Sox for CSNNE.com. He joined me over the phone today. Here it is, my conversation with Sean. And again, stick around afterwards. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Sean McAdam from Comcast Sportsnet New England. You can read him at CSNNE.com. He covers Major League Baseball and more specifically the Boston Red Sox. Sean, thanks for joining me today. How you doing? My pleasure, Danny. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, The trade deadline in Major League Baseball was yesterday. It has come and gone. Looking at what the Red Sox did, they get a lefty reliever from Minnesota, Fernando Abad from minor league of Pat Light. No blockbuster, and the blockbuster name that we were talking about a lot was Chris Sale. The Red Sox did not go out and make that move. Uh, My first question for you is this. uh, How do you evaluate what the Sox did at the trade deadline, and did they make the right move to not make that blockbuster and keep players like Mancana and Benatendi? Well, I think in uh, in getting a bod, they got themselves another useful uh, bullpen piece, which I think they needed. Uh, there's no guarantee that Koji Uihara is going to come back and pitch at all this year. Uh, and you're just getting two of your bullpen regulars, Janichi Kazawa and Craig Kimbrell, off DL stints recently. In fact, Kimbrell only was activated just yesterday and then, of course, uh, converted the save in the ninth inning on Monday night here in Seattle. Uh, so I, I think that 
they needed to add to the bullpen to give themselves some other weapons and a, a lefty like a bot presents John Farrell with a lot of matchup options over the final two months. And guys like that, I think, become even more valuable in the postseason where every at-bat gets magnified and to have a lefty who can really attack lefties mm-hmm. uh, is, a, uh, is a nice option for a manager to have. As far as the sale deal, uh, we don't know what the asking price was from the White Sox other than to presume that in the Red Sox eyes it was prohibitive. Otherwise, they would have made the deal. It was clear that they had some interest. They had discussions in the final week, although apparently not up to the last day or two days, as had been reported. Um, Dave Dombrowski uh, emphasized that the last time that the Red Sox and White Sox talked was last Friday, about three days before the deadline arrived. So it wasn't some of that last-minute back-and-forth and hemming and hawing that had been suggested. Um, it's obvious that the White Sox, as they should, mm-hmm. set a very high uh, return price to deal away a pitcher who's in his prime at 27 and is under control for three more seasons after this one. Uh, they'd be foolish to not try to extract the most they could for him and the Red Sox just decided that the cost wasn't worth it. It doesn't mean that it can't be revisited this winter. In fact, I suspect it might uh, when perspectives might change and maybe one side or both changes its idea about what is acceptable. Maybe the White Sox come down a little bit. Maybe the Red Sox are a little more desperate and decide to pay in November and December what they wouldn't <clears throat> pay in July or August. So it's possible we may not have heard the last of the Chris Sale and Red Sox talk, but for now it just didn't get done. Yeah, and the names that, that we all talked about, Mancana, Benatendi, uh, they already had moved Anderson Espinosa a couple weeks before in that Drew Pomeranz trade, and and I guess, you know, as we all sit here and try to wonder what Chicago's asking price would be and what the reports are, I guess I think to myself, well, I wonder if they still had Espinosa, if that maybe would make it a little bit more likely that we could have seen some type of deal like that where the Red Sox go out and actually pull the trigger on a, a trade for a top of the rotation start and pitch. I mean, is that ever across your mind when you think back to the Pomeranz trade and look at it now with the trade deadline pass, seeing they didn't make that major move? Or is, is that a non-factor, the, the Espinosa deal? No, I, I think it, it's fair to, to ask. Would it have been easier to pull off had they waited? Um, but at the time, uh, and remember, they got Espinosa coming out, uh, rather, uh, uh, Pomerantz coming out of the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I think they thought they were jumping the line a little bit and getting ahead of some other teams that were going to be looking for starting pitching. Um you know, the cost was significant in giving up Espinosa, but you were getting two plus years of control of Pomerantz, a guy who was having a breakout season. And at the time the deal was made, there was no guarantee or even really indication that the, the White Sox were going to even listen on sale. So if you don't make the deal for Pomerantz, um, you know, maybe you're left holding the bag where you still don't want to meet the asking price for Chris Sale, and yet you don't get anybody to help that rotation. So, um, but would Espinoza 
Eduardo Rodriguez and someone else not in that upper, upper echelon of prospects, by which I mean someone other than Moncada, Benintendi, Devers, and Kopech have gotten sailed on, maybe. But, you know, that's kind of 2020 at this point in terms of hindsight. Speaking with Sean McAdam, Comcast Sportsnet New England, joins me over the phone right now. And a, a lot of focus is always on the moves right up until the trade deadline. But just because the Red Sox only get the lefty reliever Fernando Abad doesn't mean they didn't do anything before the deadline. We mentioned Pomeranz. You know, you look at someone like acquiring Aaron Hill a couple weeks ago. He had a big home run last night in a win in Seattle. And they go out, they also got Brad Ziegler. So you get a lefty reliever, a, a righty reliever, a starting pitcher who was an all-star, and a much-needed utility player. Um, so glass half full here, I guess, is that just because the Red Sox didn't make the blockbuster at the deadline, Sean, I think can we still look at maybe the last couple weeks and say Dave Dombrowski has done a nice job at least trying to put together a team that can get to the postseason? Yeah, I mean, the flip side to these, that question about, you know, did they jump the gun and leave themselves in a lesser position to make an offer for sale is he was proactive and he did strike before the deadline. In fact, uh, Dombrowski said yesterday that while people, you know, were sort of uh, showing signs of disappointment that they didn't do anything bigger yesterday, uh, he said if, if they had acquired Ziegler, Hill, Pomerantz, and Abad in, say, two days leading up to the deadline, it would have looked like they had killed him and mm. that they had dominated, you know, the, the the August 1st trade deadline period with the pickups that they made, uh, each of whom was significant. And I would, you know, uh, I would characterize Aaron Hill as better than a utility player at this point. He's a guy that, you know, had been playing virtually every day in Milwaukee and probably could start for some other teams. Um, but a guy who's kind of platooning here at third base and, and uh, uh, you know, is a veteran presence uh, who hasn't contributed much until last night, but still uh, all pretty positive pickups. And, you know, it'll take a while to see, to, to sit back and judge what sort of job Timbrowski did to make improvements. Um, but on paper, I think when you go back to the two weeks, uh, starting with Pomerantz and then, uh, or, you know, going back to Hill and Ziegler and Pomerantz and now Abad, those are four what you would consider fairly helpful additions here. Yeah. Cause you look around the American league and I mean, I guess unless I'm missing something, Cleveland made the big move, Texas made the big moves and then you get the moves the Red Sox made. And, uh, you know, now we look at this roster moving forward. You got Ben Attendee getting called up. I'll get your take on that in, in a second. But with regards to the pitching, because to me that's the biggest question mark, starting pitching, bullpen, all right, you got Kimbrell back, but you still have some issues out there. W- what's the key for the Red Sox now to get into the postseason? And it's not just get to the postseason in this town, as you know, Sean. I mean, what's the key for this team now moving forward the next two, two-plus months to be – you know, that, that championship contender. Is it David Price doing what he did in L.A. the other night? I mean, that's got to be it. That, that, that's it to me. Like, David Price needs to give us more of what we saw against the Angels. And if they can get that, then they're taking a step in the right direction when they get to the postseason and, and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part is them getting healthy again. And we already mentioned 
uh, Tazawa and more recently Kimbrell coming back. So there's two very big bullpen pieces. Arguably, you're you know one of your top two setup guys in Tazawa and your closer, who for all the struggles he's had in non-save situations, is 18 for 20 in converting saves so far, which mm. is pretty good. Um, so there's health, and I think yeah, the the, the ability to uh, to throw out a starting pitcher every night who at least gives you a chance to win. Doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, um, but for the first time this year, when you look at a rotation of Price and Porcello and Wright and Pomerantz and uh, uh, Rodriguez, mm-hmm. you have a guy that is capable of going out and pitching into the seventh inning and giving you a chance to win that game. And so you'd like to see the rotation kind of stabilize a little bit. Guys provide quality starts far more nights than not. And then, frankly, overcome a little bit of that offensive inconsistency that they've shown the last couple of weeks. Uh, For a team that leads a major league in runs, you know, there have been a lot of games lately where they've lost low-scoring games, and we're on the verge of doing that again last night, uh, trailing one nothing going into the eighth inning, despite a very good start from Rodriguez. So uh, they got a couple of big hits late, two solo homers from uh, from Hill and Betts to pull out a 2-1 win. Um, but there have been a lot of games where they've been, you know, 1-for-10, 2-for-11 with runners in scoring position. And... Um, You'd like to, uh, if you're a Red Sox fan, you want to see that lineup return to the kind of uh, attack that they showed for the first half of the year, where it seemed like every night they were putting up five, six, and seven runs. Yeah, and it was a relentless attack, that's for sure. We have seen it, uh, the comebacks here, the last couple games. The Red Sox have won two straight. They're still in Seattle, and Sean, Andrew Benatendi, he's joining the team in Seattle tonight, right? I mean, so this is a big deal. He's going from double-A to the majors. How should we expect him to be used? I mean, platoon and left with Holt every day, left fielder. And is this is this something in which the Red Sox say, we need this position, or are they looking at it going, no, this kid's just so ready right now, we got to bring him up, or is it a little bit of both? How how did this all transpire, and, and how should we expect Benatendi to be used here moving forward? Well, on, on the latter question, Danny, uh, John Farrell indicated – after the game last night to us that uh, he envisioned a platoon with Brent and Benatendi. Uh, and of course, with Benatendi being the lefty of that duo, he would get, you know, 70% or so of the starts, given that, you know, you see a lefty about one of every, one of every four or five games. So Benatendi, although he won't start tonight because uh, the uh, Mariners are, throwing a left-hander against the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. He's expected to make his debut tomorrow night in the lineup. And, um, you know, their belief is that uh, uh, he's ready in all phases of the game. Obviously, it's the offense that's going to be the most challenging part of this. He's a pretty good outfielder and a good athlete, a good base runner, so they don't worry about those things. Um, but they think that he could hold his own offensively here. They're not going to have him, you know, hitting third or fourth or fifth in this lineup. I would expect that you'd see him, you know, somewhere down the bottom third of the lineup, maybe even ninth 
<clears throat> to take any pressure off him initially. Uh, but they think he's uh, performed well enough offensively and that he's mature enough emotionally in terms of a, uh, his makeup to handle whatever failure he has to deal with here at the big league level for the first time. Uh, in terms of what motivated it, I think you go back to um, the fact that they haven't been getting a lot of offense out of left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Chris Young gone, with Blake Swihart gone, with Holt back, Holt had gotten off to that hot start you know, for the first 10 days or so after coming off the DL with the concussion, but it's definitely cooled of late. Um, Brent has a propensity to strike out, which has happened all through his pro career at the minor league level, and we're starting to see it here now. I think he struck out uh, at least twice, if not three times last night. Um, they were concerned enough about how little offense they were getting out of left field that they made a real heavy push to get Carlos Beltran yesterday. And in fact, had reason to believe that with about an hour to go, um, they had a decent shot at him before ultimately hmm. the uh, Yankees sent Beltran to the Rangers. Um, the Red Sox had envisioned using Beltran as essentially their everyday left fielder uh, as a switch hitter. They put up with the subpar defense for two months. You can get away with that, I think, a little bit in left field at Fenway anyway. And you could always, uh, you know, put somebody else like Brents or someone who's a little more comfortable and a better outfielder in the late innings and games in which you were ahead. You could also have filled in uh, at DH when Ortiz needed some time. But I think once that fell through and they didn't get Beltran, they decided, well, Now's the time to take a look at that intendee and see what we have here and see if he can't uh, provide a little spark. All right, and finally, you know, we can't mention Ben Attendee getting called up without wondering what the timetable might be for Yon Mankata because uh, he's the top prospect here, and he's the guy that it seems like nobody really wanted to get rid of. Obviously, they didn't want to get rid of Ben Attendee, but really, Mankata is the guy, right? So he's been taking grounders at third base lately. What are we looking at with Mankata, Sean, and maybe his timetable in the next year or so? Yeah, I, I would expect that you might see him in September when rosters expand. I'd be surprised, I think, if um, uh, if they did that beforehand. Um, because unlike Benintendi, where you have an obvious spot where you can slot him in, mm. uh, and you know that first that prospect was first raised a few weeks ago when they moved Benintendi from center to left. It was clear that they were preparing for this possibility of him coming up at some point this year and helping out in left field. They don't need help in center. They don't need help in right with Bradley and Beth. But they weren't getting a lot out of left field. And it was clear that they were, you know, planting the seed here. Um, the fact that Moncada has gotten a little work at third base suggests that maybe uh, you could see him there later this season. Uh, but having played second base for uh, the vast majority of, in fact, the entire season up until now, mm. it's not as if he's going to come in and supplant Dustin Pedroia at second base. So it's a little harder for Moncada um, in terms of where he fits this year because he doesn't have as much pro experience or, or as much this level experience as Benintendi does. And there's no obvious place for him in a position where he's comfortable. Um, you know, maybe if he gets a little bit more playing time and game action at third, 
the rest of the year for Portland. Then uh, if he's called up in September, when rosters expand, you might see him used there. I, I, I think um, they want to be careful that they don't rush him. Um, and it's going to be, you know, you would expect that this team is going to be in contention in September. Yeah. And it's going to be difficult to try to find playing time and, uh, and get two young guys like Bantendi and Mankata into the lineup and keep them sharp. Uh, so, as I said, I would expect that we'll see Mankata when the, when the rosters expand, but maybe not necessarily in a big playing role. As much as anything to get his feet wet with the big league experience, let him see what the atmosphere is like, get him some occasional playing time, but mostly just uh, indoctrinate him a little bit and have him a little bit more prepared for next year. All right. Sean McAdam, Comcast Sportsnet New England. Read him on CSNNE.com. Sean, thanks a lot. Great stuff, as always, and hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, Danny. Thanks for having me on. Good talking to you. All right, great stuff right there from Sean McAdam, Comcast Sportsnet New England, as we went over what went down yesterday before the non-waiver trade deadline in Major League Baseball. Now, first and foremost, you look around the league. Since the Red Sox did not make one of the bigger moves, everybody does their whole winners and losers of the trade deadline. You know, unless I'm missing something, I think, in fact, look, the Red Sox, they didn't make that major move, but still, you look at Baltimore, didn't do anything crazy. Again, unless I missed something there. Toronto didn't do anything crazy. Again, unless I missed something. And the Yankees, they did get a little nuts, but not as a buyer. They went nuts as a seller. They sold Chapman uh, a couple days before the deadline to the Chicago Cubs. I think that was a great move for the Cubs. A good move for the Yankees, too, who were down and out. Uh, and they sent Andrew Miller to Cleveland uh, two days ago. So the Yankees got nuts, but they went the other way. This is going to be a three-team race in the AL East moving forward the next couple months. Baltimore, the Red Sox, and Toronto and if you look at the standings right now on this Tuesday afternoon, Baltimore's in first place with 59 wins. The Red Sox and the Blue Jays both tied for second place, both the game behind the Orioles. And I think the reason maybe you can look at the Red Sox and maybe consider them winners in their division at least is because Baltimore didn't do anything nuts and Toronto didn't do anything nuts. And the Red Sox, let's face it, as much as I wanted to see them go out and make the blockbuster deal, Dave Dombrowski does deserve some credit because Sean McAdam is right on the money when he says, hey, if if we went on Twitter yesterday or went on ESPN.com or whatever website you go to get your MLB trade rumors leading up to the deadline at, what, 4 o'clock Eastern time, I think it was? Um, you know, let's say 2 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday, the Red Sox acquired Pomeranz. They acquired Brad Ziegler. And they acquired Aaron Hill. And then went out and finalized it with this lefty reliever from Minnesota, Fernando Abad, who was an ERA under three. I think when you look at those things, a lefty reliever, a right-handed reliever, a utility guy in Aaron Hill that you saw last night still has a little bit of pop in that bat. Um, and on top of it, a starting pitcher who, look, I don't consider him anything dominant, but facts of facts, he is an all-star pitcher. He's in the all-star game this year. That's a, That would have been a pretty good trade deadline and I, because I do think we, I think we react to the moment and the day of the deadline. And sometimes, 
these certain trades for certain teams can get watered down if they take place a couple days or even a couple weeks ahead of time. And and one of them, you know, I think even looking at all the moves that have been made with every team, like you look, Texas made some big moves, some ballsy moves. They bring in Beltran. They bring in Jonathan Lucroy from the Brewers. Now, Lucroy was supposed to go to Cleveland, and he basically had the Indians on his no-trade list, and he vetoed it. He said, I'm not going to Cleveland, even though Cleveland's in first place. Now, Cleveland goes out and gets Andrew Miller. Nice move. But Texas really got nuts, uh, you know, stacking their lineup a little bit more. The Nationals went out and got Mark Melanson if you want to go to the National League. Um, the Cubs, as I mentioned, got Chapman. You can look at even the Dodgers. Rich Hill and Josh Reddick, they're going to send Yasiel Puig down to the minors. I mean, all the moves that were made, and I apologize if I'm missing anything, but I think those are the biggest ones. Out of every team that made moves either the two weeks before the deadline or up until yesterday at 4 o'clock, I think the Cubs' move to get Chapman is the best one. Like, you look at teams that have the best shot to win. The Cubs right now, they have 64 wins. They're eight games ahead of the Cardinals for first place in the NL Central. They're 35-17 and 17 at home. They've scored 534 runs. They've only allowed 365. The Cubs are the best team in baseball, in my opinion. And... I don't think other teams wanted to see them add Araldis Chapman to the back end of that. I don't think they did. And they gave up a lot, right? They gave up top prospect, shortstop kid, that young kid, right? Didn't they to the Yankees? But still, you got to give up a lot if you're the Cubs. You have such a young group still in that organization. You're going to be contenders for a couple years now. And but, but forget about a couple years. Win right now. And that's exactly what the Cubs did. They went out and got Chapman. I still look, even though the Cubs and that Chapman move was not yesterday at like 3.30, at a trade deadline Monday, I still look at the Cubs and say they're the winners because they went out, they're the best team, and they went out and I think got the best player that was available or at least the best player that was traded. Out of all the moves that were made and the best players that were traded, the Cubs got the best guy. They got around this Chapman. Now, you get to back to the Red Sox, and you get back to the Chris Sale rumors. We had them. They were flying. But Dave Dombrowski, yesterday, he came out and said, well, we hadn't talked to the White Sox since Friday. And you know what? I don't believe him. Like, I'm not going to believe that for one second. The Red Sox talked to the White Sox. I'm willing to bet yesterday. If they didn't, they weren't doing their job, Okay. So don't believe that. What I think that is, and I think this is just the way the Red Sox are going to play this, and this is the way they should play it. But what it is, is Dave Dombrowski, Mike Hazen, whoever, John Farrell, the rest of the organization, ownership, coaching staff, manager, front office, you name it. What they're doing now and how they're going to play this off is they didn't go out and make the big trade for a couple reasons. One, they didn't want to give up Mankata and Benatendi. Both of them in the same deal. Well, all right, maybe you could believe that. But I'm still still willing to bet that I'm still willing to bet that if it was sale and maybe you didn't have to give up six guys and maybe if they weren't asking for a rust, you know, a major league player to go along with it like a Jackie Bradley Jr., I'm still not I'm not dead set on this idea that they wouldn't give those kids up. But they're gonna play it off like they wouldn't. And they're bringing up Ben Attendee. And what that is, is, is just sort of a, um, I guess it's a vote of confidence to the young kids, right? Saying, hey, we believe in you. Now we're going to call you up. Ben Attendee called up. 
to meet the team tonight in Seattle. But they're also going to play this off, I think. And this is the way they should play it off. And say, well, we didn't talk to Chicago since Friday because we, you know what? We realize that our pitching staff is good enough. And you know what that tells the Red Sox pitching staff? It, it's, it's another vote of confidence. And I think more than anybody else, they're trying to give that vote of confidence to someone like David Price to say, you know what? We're not going to go out and get you that other race. We're not going to go out and get an ace because we believe you're our guy. We spent $217 million over seven years, $30 million a season on you, and we believe in you. So go out and pitch like you pitched in L.A. the other night, moving forward. And David Price, he is on the mound tonight in Seattle, going up against Mariners lefty Wade LeBlanc. So here we go. Vote of confidence to Price. Vote of confidence to the young kids. And the Red Sox move forward. The only player added to the team yesterday was lefty reliever from Minnesota, Fernando Abad. Um, ERA under three. Okay. He's been in a couple teams the last couple years. Let's wait and see. Let's see how it works out. But this is your team. And the Ben Attendee call-up now is interesting because I guess I sort of wonder what happens with Brock Holt. I mean, don't forget Brock Holt was in the All-Star game last year. And while he maybe had gone cold, and obviously we know he had the concussion issue not too long ago, I don't know that um, I would, would stay away from Brock Holt, but you might be forced to now with the number of bodies. If you're really going to go to Bryce Brents because he's a right-handed hitter and platoon with the lefty Benatendi in that fashion in left field. Um, so we'll see how, how they handle it. but. Benatendi getting called up is interesting. I, I think even if there are some signs of maybe struggle early on, you can't give up on the kid. You can't. You're not, it's, you just can't give up on him. But you know how I felt. I would have packaged him in a deal to be able to get Chris Sale because I look around the rest of the league at some of the moves that were made. And what's, you know, one, one team that, that jumps out. Now, I know Cleveland, they're in first, and they get Andrew Miller. They try to get Luke Roy. They, Luke Roy wouldn't go there. But Texas gets Beltran, Texas gets Lucroy, and the Rangers, you look at Cole Hamels, and they acquired him a couple years ago. Cole Hamels right now is the exact reason, like that's the example that I would give you to go out and try to, acqu- try to acquire Chris Sale. That, that, that sort of is what my thought process was. And, and I think if you're someone that didn't want to give up on the future, but still sees a, a, a need, what the biggest need is for the Red Sox. I think you got to look at the Cole Hamels situation in Texas because Texas with Cole Hamels, man, he's 2.84 ERA, 12 and 2, 132 strikeouts. He's been in the postseason. He's won in the postseason. Uh, he's a big, he can be a big game pitcher. You know, you're set. You acquired him under contract, 32 years old. You don't see many worries or concerns about him at 32 just yet. And you're sort of set in that spot where now you're in first place if you're Texas and you added and, and added a couple bats to your lineup. And um, I think there's sort of a comfort level with the Texas Rangers there because of that Cole Hamels trade. And, and I, I want to look at a move like that and that player and that team and take that and use that as an example as to why I would have went out and acquired sale because that would have been a similar situation. Like Hamels is now going to be around Texas for a couple years especially after that uh, a trade, you know, a couple of years ago. Look, I, I think Sale is someone that he's 27, and you'd be talking about sort of being set in that spot when you get to the deadline for the next couple of years. But I still think we're going to be to a point, even if David Price 
can give us some more of what we saw in L.A. I really do think we're going to be to a point at the end of this season where we're looking at this rotation going, man, wish we went out and got sale. Wish we had a pitcher like that for the next couple of years to be set in that spot. Because if you're not, I got news for you. Next year at this time, we're going to be asking the same questions. Who can you go out and acquire to be in this rotation that's going to be able to give you some dominant starts or a lot of dominant starts? I mean, I, I really think you still have that question. You haven't answered it. And until you do, you know, we're going to see some moments with this Red Sox group in which there are frustrating times. Because I, I, there are still questions with the rotation. Now, last night, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, no decision, six and a third, allowed three hits, only one run, walked two guys, struck out six, threw 101 pitches. Uh, Robbie Ross Jr. didn't look good at first, but ends up getting two strikeouts in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, Tazawa ends up getting the win. Kimbrell gets the save as he's back from the DL, and he's been activated. So, uh... You know, you look at this Red Sox pitching staff. The Kimbrel news is good that he's back. Joe Kelly down to the minors. You're bringing a bod with this move yesterday. But still, the starting pitching. Look, I think Rodriguez has the stuff to be a top-of-the-rotation guy. Are we going to see that the rest of this year? I still have questions as much as I believe in Rodriguez, and that he will be. Still 23 years old. And um, I, I just am not convinced that we'll see that full package, you know, the total package of, of what Eduardo Rodriguez can bring to the table. I'm not convinced that we'll see it this season. Maybe uh, we'll, we'll get to it next year. But if they can see that this season, then, all right, maybe we won't be questioning the pitching staff. I think Rodriguez is going to be that good. I'm just not sure when uh, him being that good is actually going to begin. So, this is look, this is where we stand with the Red Sox right now. And they're going to have a shot to get to the postseason. I told you even before the deadline, even before any of the moves they've made, that this Red Sox team currently constituted, even going back a month ago, would be good enough to get to the postseason, whether it be winning the division or, you know, getting that wild card game and winning that one game playoff to get into an ALDS series. They're good enough. It's just when you get to the postseason, what is this rotation and what is this bullpen going to look like when you get into the playoffs, when you get into the tournament? I'd feel a lot more comfortable if you went out and acquired that big-name stud starting pitcher. They didn't do it, so these are the guys you're rolling with. And uh, I think they get in the postseason. I just, now it's get me to October, right? Get me to October. And for all the people that say, well, they can't win the one-run game, they can't come up with the big hit, last couple of games, they've come up with the big hit, right? The big hits. And last night, it was Mookie Betts and Aaron Hill. Aaron Hill tied the game with a solo home run in the eighth. And Betts hit that home run in the ninth. I mean, I didn't even think I didn't think it was getting out. Did anybody think that ball was getting out? I thought that was going to be a line out to shallow left field. That ball got out of the ballpark. That might have been five rows deep. I was shocked that that thing got over the wall. So you get the two to one win. Kimbrell comes in for the save, and now tonight you got David Price on the mound, looking to give you something similar to what he gave you against the Angels the other night. Uh, so I will watch this and react to it on tomorrow's podcast. Again, special thanks to Sean McAdam, Comcast, Sportsnet, New England, for joining me earlier today. So now, look, we're past the deadline. All the rumors, uh, all the the teams that were going to make moves. Do my thoughts change on maybe championship contenders at this point after the deadline? No. I, I, 
I didn't think Kansas City at this point of the season would be five games under 500. I think that might be my biggest surprise. Uh, Chicago, though, I mean, again, the Chapman deal is huge for them. For them, It is huge. And, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, let's wait and see what their pitching staff's going to look like when they get to the end of the season. I'm actually, you know what? I'm surprised Arizona is in last place, literally 20 games under 500, 43 and 63. Uh, that's a surprise to me. But, uh, everything else that happened, you know, I, I, I'm... I'm not really surprised that not much really changes. And I think the good thing for the Red Sox is that, all right, they didn't, you know, even even though they didn't go out and get that stud pitcher that I wanted them to get, uh, Baltimore didn't do anything nuts and Toronto didn't do anything nuts. So you're still in a race. It's not like Baltimore or Toronto separated themselves from you. And if you're going to look at anything glass half full as a Red Sox fan today, like I'm trying to, um, I think what you're going to look at is, if Dave Dombrowski made the moves that he's made the last couple of weeks, if he made all four of those moves, Abad, Ziegler, Hill, and Pomeranz, if he made them all yesterday at 2 o'clock, there would be a lot of people around Major League Baseball, whether it's insiders, experts, analysts, scouts, you know, front office members, there'd be a lot of people around baseball calling the Red Sox one of the biggest winners of the deadline. I'm telling you right now, they would. Now, I don't know that I would be. I would tell you that Dave Dombrowski did a nice job to add some depth. They need more than just depth in the pitching staff, I think. I wouldn't be telling you the biggest winners because I still think the Cubs are the biggest winner with the Chapman trade. They gave up a lot to get him, but that's, you know, you acquired a dominant elite guy at the back end of that bullpen. And right now, I think the Cubs are ready to roll on to the World Series and even to a championship. So if I had to make a pick right now, the day after the deadline, who takes it and wins it all? Uh, I'm going with Chicago. That's the team that I'm going to go with. And when it comes to sale, Sean McAdams right. You know, this thing could be revisited in the offseason, certainly. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see what that looks like and maybe what the asking price would be at that point. So that's where we stand in Major League Baseball a day after the trade deadline. Don't forget, moves can still be made. The waiver deadline is, what, September 1st? So players can be put on waivers. Anybody. And if they clear waivers, they can be traded to anybody, I believe, up until September 1st. So the whole month of August. But if a team claims a guy, like, well, you know, he'd have to fall pretty far back to get to the Red Sox. But if somebody drops to the Red Sox, they could claim him and they could make a move for him. The risk that you take as a team that's trying to claim that player is if it is a big contract, that other player can just dump them to you, and you have to take on the whole salary. You have to take on the whole thing. That's the risk that you take, right? But you can also utilize it to maybe block someone from going to Baltimore if you're behind them in the standings, or block uh, someone from going to Cleveland or Texas, right? Or, or even someone in the National League. If, if it is an American League player that's being put on waivers. So uh, keep an eye on the waivers as well and the waiver deadline because moves can still be made. It's just a little bit more complicated and unlikely, but that doesn't mean it can't still happen. So moving on from baseball on this Tuesday afternoon, here locally with keeping an eye on Patriots training camp and the whole quarterback situation, I still think it's a little too early to go too in-depth with the amount of reps that Garoppolo and Brady are getting. Um, 
But you know how I feel. Garoppolo needs to be the go-to, the priority of the team here in training camp, preseason, to get most reps with the ones outside of training camp. Kevin Falk. Kevin Falk goes into the Patriots Hall of Fame yesterday. The most interesting part of this, in my opinion, was the fact that he comes out wearing a Brady jersey, supporting his boy Tom Brady, and Tom Brady coming out wearing a Kevin Falk jersey. I thought that was pretty cool. And outside of football and baseball, what else is going on? Still waiting to see if the Celtics do anything big. They have some time to make a blockbuster trade. Will they? I know I expect them to at least. I expect some story to sort of catch us off guard here the next couple weeks. I don't know what it's going to be, but I assume something's going on. We'll see. And the Bruins? I mean, come on. What's really going on with the Bruins? Anything? Not much at all. You got the Olympics, though. Begin this weekend in Rio. And, I mean, look, I'm not an Olympic guy. Like, I really could care less. I think when they're on TV, I might get into it and watch some things. But it's, they're saying this is a complete disaster in Rio, right? Rio de Janeiro, this is a disaster. You can't drink the water. You can't put your head underwater. Look, I mean, you shouldn't be able to have the Olympics in a place where you can't put your head underwater. I mean... You can put your head in, you can drink the water in prison, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you can't drink the water in, in, in Rio? You can't put your head underwater in Rio? I, how can you have the Olympics there? Well, they're going to have them. I guess they have no choice now. I mean, I, maybe they could, I mean, they could always cancel the Olympics if they wanted to. Might not be a popular decision worldwide or with or for the IOC, but um, they're, they're going on as scheduled. And I, they begin this weekend, right? I mean, I, I honestly, I'm more of a Winter Olympics guy, I think. Not really a big Summer Olympics guy. Like, what are you going to watch? Volleyball? You're going to watch basketball? You're going to watch Team USA just crush every team they play? Is that what you're going to do? How is that fun? What else is there? Swimming? I mean, who cares? I don't care about swimming. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, if they had pro beach hockey, all right, I'd go for it. I'd go for it. Right? That's what I that's what I'd be for. But I'm not a big Olympics guy. Certainly not a summer Olympics guy. If I do watch either of the two Olympics, summer or winter games more than the other, I watch the winter Olympics more. But um even in you know what though, even in Sochi a couple of years ago, there were all these talks about all this bad shit that was going on. They weren't prepared for it. It wasn't a good place for people to stay and live and be I mean, it turned out okay, right? Bob Costas got the pink eye, but that was about it. <laughs> as far as I know, maybe I missed some stories or don't remember some stories, but I think the only issue they had at the Olympics was Bob Costas getting the pink eye. They're saying that they, you could get something a little bit worse if you put your head underwater in Rio, so we'll have to wait and see. Can anyone get worse than what Bob Costas got? Is it going to be worse than that in Rio? I guess time will tell because the Olympics start this weekend, and I'm not going to lie to you. I probably will not be watching much of it, but maybe there's something that gets my attention, which when I'm watching it, if I happen to be sitting by the TV, which is very rare, you know, bouncing around doing crazy shit all the time as this life that I that I live, in which there always seems to be something going on. Um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be there watching one night, and something will be on that will interest me, and, and it will have my attention, but I I can't make any guarantees on that. So I can't guarantee you that I'm going to be sitting there talking about the, the Summer Olympics on 
this show. But I still will talk baseball even after the trade deadline as we now get set uh, for the final sprint to the postseason. August and September baseball is some of the best baseball you will see. And uh, it's going to be fun, especially with this Red Sox team in a three-team race in the AL East. And, of course, you get the one-game wild card playoff. David Price on the mound tonight in Seattle. Andrew Benatendi joining the team, but he probably won't make his first Major League start in the lineup until tomorrow night on Wednesday. I'll react to this tonight. I'm here five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.